Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. Lord, we're just thankful for your continued blessings that you just continue to pour out upon us time and again. And so, Lord, we are delighted and uh, excited that we can be a part of this with you. And uh, what we're praying for is your continued leadership, your guidance, your provision. Uh, We want so much, Lord, just to do what you have for us. No more, but also no less. Give us the courage that we need to go boldly into these new roads that you are opening up. May you extend our reach. May you extend our impact. May you use our humble offering, Lord, to draw more and more people into a saving knowledge of your Son. Father, we want all of this, and we know that you promise exceedingly abundantly more than we can hope imagine, and you've done that already, and we look forward to what you will do in the future. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part of this, and we pray that you would raise up the requisite leaders. They're here now, Lord. Stir their hearts. Draw them forward in boldness and courage to answer your call. Right. So as we jump into God's word here and jump into our new series called Disrupted, over the last uh, few days, weeks actually, two months to be quite honest, I uh, have thought to myself many times that I should have bought metal garbage cans. Metal garbage cans. Because, you know, I grew up with metal garbage cans. How many of you grew up with metal garbage cans? Right, but we don't really have. Does anybody even have metal garbage cans anymore? It's mostly plastic, right? And so we grew up with metal garbage cans, and I keep telling myself I should always have metal garbage cans because the fire arson inspector told us that our house fire was an accidental fire that started in the garbage cans. And I was kind of bummed about that uh, because... you know. By the way, to answer your little question I know some of you have because I know you, I was not dropping cigarette butts in the garbage can outside. I don't even smoke. I don't know why that rumor got started. Just stop it now. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I grew up, we had metal garbage cans, and we used to actually burn stuff in them. 
like we would use them to burn stuff. We would put fireworks in there and M80s and things like that. But like, but we would burn stuff in the cans. And and of course now the in fire investigators are telling me that the fire started in the cans. In fact, they threw out the phrase spontaneous combustion, which is apparently a thing, which sounds fake, but it apparently this is a thing. I come to find out that it's just a phrase they use to describe really pretty much a, fi a fire of unknown origin. Uh, but they say that it actually happens all the time in garbage cans because, you know, it could be, you know, we were doing a house project and so, you know, there's painting and there's stains involved and rags and you throw them all in your garbage cans and there's other, like, you know, chemicals and even bacteria that can kind of cause, cause things to start to overheat and you throw in maybe some ash that might have been put in and all of a sudden spontaneous combustion. Okay. So I wondered if I had metal garbage cans, would I have been able to have avoided all of this headache? Thinking about it, right? You never know. You kind of play these scenarios in your head. But here's the thing. I think that God burned us out of our house. Like, I think he did. And if he didn't actually burn us out, he at least let it happen. And I want you to just kind of go with me on this for a second because the God of the universe could, he could have arranged it so that whatever particular freakish series of events that caused spontaneous combustion, whatever those series of events were, he could have made it so it never happened. It would have been an easy thing for him to have let us avoid all of this headache. It would have been a piece of cake, and yet he decided not to. So I felt like, yeah, in a sense, God burned us out of our house. And by the way, the timing, he didn't do great on that. Like, you know, I, I, it's not ideal. I mean, I'm sure there's never a good time to have like a massive disrupting event in your life, but sometimes are actually better than others. And so here we are, weeks away from launching our pastoral leadership incubator after a great deal of time and effort, and all of a sudden, this happens. The Viscardi rental. I learned about it and saw the space on Sunday, and the house burned on Monday. Are you kidding me? We got big things we're doing, God. This is terrible timing. And we have all the regular pressures of family life, three boys, two in college, and then on top of it, our dog, Barley, gets deathly ill. And I'm like, you know, what do you do with that? What do you do with all of these things? What do you do with the reality that life is often disturbingly disrupted? You're cruising along. You're just trying to hold things together. And bam, you're sucker punched. Why? What do you do with it? If I was running the universe, by the way, it'd be very different. I know you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. If not, maybe you will be soon. In fact, I promise you will. Maybe you have been hit with the worst of a medical diagnosis. Maybe you're going through some sort of terrible heartache or you're battling anxiety 
or depression and you've got all sorts of family crises and drama going on or you've got the wayward child that you're dealing with or maybe it's fill in the blank because you know your burdens. We each have our burdens to bear and for the next three weeks we're going to be spending some time with Joseph of Technicolor dream coat fame. Joseph in the Bible. That is actually Trevor without the beard and with long hair. I know it looks like Donny Osmond. It's actually Trevor in one of his Broadway moments. Um, Joseph, he goes through the ringer and he never seemed to waver in his trust in God. Open up in a Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 45. Just kind of hold it there for a moment. Put your finger in that and just kind of hold that there because I want to give you a background to the story because it actually starts in Genesis 37 and it runs all the way through chapter 50, which means it's one of the longest narratives in the whole of the Bible. Do you think God is trying to tell us something with the life of Joseph? He is. There's a lot for us to learn. But because it's such a long narrative, I kind of want to frame it out for those of you who are not familiar with it and give you just a couple of the highlights. In Genesis 37.3, the story starts to get a little bit uh, dicey right out of the gate. Now, Israel, that's his dad. So that's, he's one of the tribes, he's one of the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes. Israel, the way we get the name of the nation of Israel, this is the guy that started it all. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That's ominous. That certainly isn't going to go well. It's not going to play well for Joseph. In fact, it didn't. It wasn't even Joseph's fault that his brothers didn't like him. It was his dad's favoritism that brought this on Joseph's head. So have the actions of the people that are supposed to look out for you ever caused you trouble or hardship? Because if so, Joseph knows your pain. You have Genesis 37. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word. And maybe you've experienced the people that you trust talking trash and breaking your heart. They can't say a kind word. Well, guess what? Joseph knows your pain. Genesis 37, come now, this is his brothers, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. The people conspired against you to hurt you because Joseph understands that and he was thrown into a pit, just keep that in the back of your mind, Genesis 37. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. I wonder how many of us have ever been sold out for a few bucks. Someone who's taken advantage of you, maybe even a family member. Maybe it was a trusted business depart, uh, partner who said, you know what, for a few bucks, I don't actually care what they think. Many of us have experienced that. And then he went from the top of the heap in his home to slavery. 
in a foreign nation. In order to dupe their dad as to what happened, they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. A ruse to say that his brother had been killed, their brother had been killed. Put a little note on that one as well. Now things turn around, which is pretty cool in the story, and we feel like things are heading in the right direction because the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, even in the land of slavery. He actually started doing really well, even great, more and more freedom, more and more responsibility. He had more and more trust, only to have it all ripped away in Genesis 39. This is the wife of the powerful government official whose home he is in. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. So long before the modern Me Too movement, Joseph was sexually harassed. He was assaulted by his employer. And then she buried him with false and humiliating accusations. Joseph suffered this incredible loss of nearly everything. Now you almost wonder if it was harder to have actually tasted the success and have it all ripped away from you because it actually tells us that Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confi confined. And he knew what it was like to have it all taken away. But the Lord was still with Joseph, we're told. And Joseph's Faith didn't waver, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And then we get this amazing moment. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. He ends up helping this important government official who promptly forgets about him, as so many have experienced. Doesn't return the favor. Have you ever been there for someone who wasn't there for you when you needed them? That's Joseph's experience. His life was seriously disrupted. Now, fast forward a little bit. This whole thing ultimately led to a rise in power for Joseph that got him in front of the Pharaoh that let him save the entire nation and the region and his family from starvation. No matter what he faced, he continued to trust in God. Now, in our text, Genesis 45, look at verse 3. This is after Joseph finally reveals himself, his identity to his brothers, who he has now been giving food to for years. He, he is now about to identify himself, and he says, Joseph said to his brothers, verse 3, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wait a second. What? Can we just say that? God sent me ahead of you. Say that with me. God sent me ahead of you. 
Verse 6, for two years now there had been fam- there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household. God sent me ahead of you. God sent Joseph to Egypt as a slave. Remember, God sent him ahead. That let him work for Potiphar so that his sex-crazed wife would falsely accuse him so that God could send Joseph to prison so that he could meet the officials of the king's court so that when the timing was perfect that God could send Joseph to Pharaoh right when Pharaoh needed him. Joseph would be ready. In fact, he was safely kept there in jail for the moment he was needed. This whole journey took decades of life disruption. When you fast forward in the story, not only did God save the Israelites through this shocking and utterly unpredictable turn of events, but God actually used these moments and this history to build his people up into a mighty nation. They went down into Egypt, 70 people strong, and they left hundreds of years later in the millions. And it also set the stage for the Exodus, the next book of the Bible, which which became God's greatest act of redemption since Noah's flood. And the Exodus is all set in place because of these very days. In fact, this would be the greatest act of redemption for another 1,500 years until the cross. Joseph's conviction was that God was in the details of his circumstances, that God was ultimately in charge of everything that he had endured. I mean, do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you know that God will use the betrayals that you have experienced in order to set you on a path toward his plan for you? Do you know that he will use your imprisonment, whatever that looks like, to accomplish his will for your life and his mission here on earth? See, without your time in the pit, you won't be able to meet the people that God wants you to meet. It is often there in those moments where God's actually doing the next phase of his work. It's in the heartache. It's in the disruption that you are becoming the woman or you are becoming the man that God needs you to be for the next season of your work. Do we believe that? Because life is filled with these disruptive moments, but not a single one of them is outside of God's power. And not a single one of them is outside of God's plan. And not a single one, this is so important for us to remember, not a single one of those moments is outside of God's love. It's how he works in our midst 
to be able to say, God did this, and still trust him, and still love him, it's powerful. And you know, I read the story, I don't actually know how Joseph knew this. I don't know how Joseph knew that God is good all the time. I don't know where he learned it. I don't know if Israel had trained him somehow, if God himself revealed it, that somehow his plans may include disturbingly disruptive moments. But from those moments that God will, will coax, God will, will command those moments, God will wring out of those moments beauty from ashes. I don't know how Joseph knew it, but I do know that we have no excuse. We have no excuse. Because we have to consider the cross for just a moment. What looked like the absolute defeat of God's plan to save humanity, his Messiah, the Savior of the world, God's chosen one, ends up hanging on a cross. To all appearances, this was the end game. He was killed by his enemies. He was betrayed by a friend. His followers scattered like cowards. Even the silence of his heavenly father spoke to the gravity of this defeat. See, it's not just Joseph who knows our pain. Because Jesus has been there. Jesus, just like Joseph, was the favored child of the father. It was his beloved son in whom God was well pleased. And just like Joseph, Jesus was betrayed by those he trusted. His friends fled when he needed the most. Enemies made false accusations. Government officials who should have protected him refused. And Jesus' robe it wasn't dipped in the blood of a goat. His royal robes, they were willingly taken off by him so that he could come here to dwell in our midst so that his clothes could be stained with his own blood as he was torn apart and beaten for us. So like Joseph, Jesus was also thrown in a hole. And Joseph was pulled out in a pseudo little resurrection almost, saved from death. But of course, Christ's hole was a tomb. And he did leave the tomb. Because Jesus wasn't going to stay in the ground. You see, listen, the ultimate plan was unfolding. And this scandalous, this grace-filled death of the Son of God. It led to the defeat of the powers of darkness and to the throwing open of the gates of heaven to everyone who would trust in Christ. And so is that you today? Or have you kept him at arm's length for all of these years? Have you just sort of nibbled around the edges of this relationship? Or have you been willing to say, no matter what, I'm going to trust in his love. 
You know, at the end of every service, we have a prayer team up here, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, I've never actually done this. I've never actually fully trusted in the work that Jesus did for me and his love for me. I always question whether his way is really right, whether he really does have my best interests at heart, whether he really is going to work all of these things out for the glory of his kingdom because of his deep love for me and for those that I care about and for the world in general. I want to be a part of that. If that is you, then come up and talk to the prayer team. They're waiting for you. They want to pray. They want to be a part of your story. I was reading this week and I came across a story of uh, this guy, Clarence L. Jordan. He was born into white privilege in the Deep South at a time when segregation was heating up and persecution of blacks was constant and it was often turning violent. And his world was powerfully disrupted one day when in the morning he was at church and he heard the prison warden there belting out the, the hymns. He was part of the choir. Heard him praising God. And that night, back in his home, which was adjacent to the prison, he heard the deep moanings of a black man who was being tortured by this same prison warden. And he was wrecked. He was wrecked. The hypocrisy that was in the church, it broke his heart and it ultimately led him to fight for racial justice through radical Christian living. He became a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and the Reverend Clarence turned to the teaching of Jesus in order to gain the courage to do what they knew they must do. And so they started a place called Koinonia Farm and with all of these guiding principles of racial and economic equality. And this was a place where in the deep south, blacks and whites would work together side by side, where they would eat together a shared meal, not something that was done and looked favorably upon in this part of the country at this time. They would play side by side. This earned them multiple visits from the KKK, and then more disruptions followed. They were kicked out of the local church. They were threatening phone calls and letters and machinery and crops started being vandalized and their roadside market, which was their economic engine, was boycotted and then it was dynamited and then bullets started to fly and they were encouraged to quit. Told they should just at least move the farm to a place less hostile. And in response, Reverend Clarence, he said, we have too many enemies to leave them. The redemptive love of God must somehow break through if it costs us our lives, if we must be hung on a cross to redeem our brothers and sisters in the flesh, so let it be. It will be well worth it. He understood the power of the example of Jesus and what redemption could cost us. More disruptions, of course, followed. But it didn't matter anymore. The government refused to help. The legal structures were fighting against them. Houses were burned. Crosses were burned. More and more bombings. And yet Koinonia Farms survived and thrived for many years. And they inspired a whole generation of Christ followers to fight for social and racial justice through nonviolent means. He ended up producing this, this beloved translation of the Bible called the Cotton Patch Gospel that many of you have 
heard about or maybe even read some of. And then through the inspiration of Koinonia Farms, they launched Habitat for Humanity, which helped provide low-income housing for people all across the world now. Amazing things coming out of the disruptions they experienced. He said at one point that faith is not belief in spite of the evidence, like so many think it is, but faith is a life in scorn of the consequences. Can you scorn the consequences because of your faith? Can you look to Christ and him alone? The story of Joseph calls us to lay our lives in the midst of disruption in a settled confidence and trust in God's goodness and his love as he's proven to us at the cross. I'm going to invite the band to come up uh, as we're going to be led in communion at a time of remembering just what the cross of Christ is all about. So would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to approach your table, what we're asking is for your spirit to meet us here open up our hearts and our minds Lord so often we don't even challenge these things in our own thinking but we often we often distrust your goodness because of our hurt or our suffering or the disruptions that we face and Lord let's settle this here once and for all today that you are good and a powerful God that nothing is spiraling out of your control but that you are in the midst of even the most heartbreaking of our circumstances, and may we learn to trust in your goodness in all of them. May the cross of Christ be our example, and may we live our lives toward that end for the mission, the good of the world. Amen.